You're listening to the Red Bicycle Media Spokes Podcast, a show about the experiences of a film production house and the people they work with in the film industry, with your host, James Pizarro. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Spokes. Uh, We're glad you guys can make it. My name is Christian Pizarro and I'm the editor and producer of the podcast. Uh, And you're probably wondering why James is not behind the mic uh, at this time. Uh, He's fine. Uh, We decided to give him some time away from the mic. A lot of talking from the past uh, couple podcasts we've recorded. uh, And you guys get to hear it in the next couple weeks. And we're really excited to uh, release them. So um, we're excited about today's podcast, of course. But before that, I hope everyone is doing okay, staying safe during the time of crisis. Uh, I know some of you have been flexing your creative muscles with some projects um, during um, the stay-at-home orders, especially here in Ohio, uh, between 48-hour projects or even just you know creating stuff, making your own films, making social uh, distancing uh, films, which is awesome to see, and um, really cool that you know you guys are still finding ways to be creative, finding ways to connect with others. Uh, I think it's awesome, and I love to see more for sure. Uh, so definitely cool. I do want to start off by thanking everyone who had a chance to see the session as part of the um, Cleveland International Film Festival. It was supposed to be shown at the festival itself, but of course got canceled. So they moved it to a streaming platform, which is called SIF 44 Streams. And we were very happy um, that we got some great responses. Thank you for the kind words, the feedback, uh, supporting this amazing cast and crew, um, really opening eyes about the art of crump and, you know, just its impact not only in Cleveland, but around the world. But we also love that, you know, we got to showcase the city as a whole, you know. And um, so we're really happy that you guys tuned in. Um, and we're also happy that we won a, a jury award. Um, it's the uh, Clover and Maggie Award in Celebration of Life. So we were very honored to have the panel choose um, us as the winners of that award. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, again for your support. And uh, hopefully we can get to other platforms soon. This leads us to uh, today's episode. For a film to be successful, uh, you not only need great actors and or great subjects if you're doing a documentary, uh, you need a great crew behind the camera. And um, this involves people from grip, gaffers, uh, of course, camera departments, so whether you're first AC, second AC, loader, um, you know, DP, director. I can go through the whole list, but we don't have that much time to do that. Um, and of course, sound. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next uh, two episodes here, uh, starting with this one. We decided to ask a few of our friends uh, who are union members here in Cleveland, and we've worked with them many times. Of course, you've seen photos with them, uh, especially on the session. And they got to work on some amazing projects the past couple of years, ranging from uh, Native Son on HBO. And uh, ICU was also a pretty big film that came here with uh, Helen Hunt. And most recently, they filmed Cherry, which is the uh, Russo Brothers project uh, with Tom Holland, who is, of course, uh, Spider-Man. And they also filmed the Untitled Fred Hampton Project, as well as The Minuteman with uh, Liam Neeson, which I believe they changed the name to The Marksman. So those will be fun to check out within the next uh, year or two. So today we're going to bring you a behind-the-scenes look of what goes on uh, behind the camera, uh, what jobs they do, how they interact with everyone else on set, and just some of the challenges that they have to go through on a daily basis. 
Again, this is the uh, first of a two-part roundtable with these young, talented crew members. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey, so welcome everybody tonight. We have Thomas. Uh, and uh, could you tell, uh, introduce yourself and tell me what your role is on, on set? Hey, thanks for having me, James. Uh, my name's Thomas Mathias, and I am uh, in the camera department. I'm a local 600 member now and have worked on features for the past three years here in Cleveland. And in the uh, lower corner, we, uh, I don't know, depending on how you're looking at it, we, we have the Pruntys out of Black Valve Studio. Uh, uh, can you uh, describe, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Black Valve Media, could you describe, uh, what, uh, introduce yourselves, please? Um, I am Hunter Prunty, and this is Evan Prunty. And we are co-owners of Black Valve Media in Cleveland, Ohio, and we do a range of production from commercial work to events and anything in between that we can get our hands on. But additionally, we freelance outside of our um, company work and working with um, a lot of television and film uh, in the Cleveland area and around. And uh, I personally, I no, no one knows what I do yet as far as um, everything, but uh, I, I do, I do sound more in the, film and television, and then uh, camera for, for Black Valve. And, and then I'll do um, just jack of all trades a little bit with our stuff. Like I'll do some filming, some editing, some producing. Um, and then on film sets, I'll, I'll do um, video assist. And I've also been like a production assistant. Um, and I also, yeah, like freelance with ESPN or NFL Network and that sort of thing too. And we have um, Eric. Uh, Eric, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, guys. I am Eric Martin, and um, I am predominantly lighting and grip only. Um, I market myself as a gaffer and uh, for, for smaller stuff, for sure. I don't have a truck. I don't have a lot of gear, um, but work as like a rigging electrician and a set lighting technician. Uh, I've e-gripped and gripped a lot. And um, I got my foot in the door um, like two and a half, three years ago when I was lucky enough to get a job at Cleveland Camera Rental and um, learned a lot from there, but, but mostly mm -hmm. just met all the right people um, that I needed to meet and um, really like honed in on, on, on lighting specifically and really focused on that instead of trying to dabble in everything. Um, Smart. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, but definitely doable, totally doable, you know, for, it's just the situation that, that I like to be in is I don't want to worry about camera. I don't want to worry about sound. Like that's just too, too stressful to me. If I could just focus on lighting, like, what little talent I have, I can like try to squeeze out into, into that. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I've been freelance um, thanks to the movie. Um, it was able to give me that income boost to, um, to go freelance and take the leap. So, and I've been in the union since, since like halfway through the film. And um, yeah, had, had some of my like first like totally freelance jobs, like, um, during the weekends of the movie and um, this year started out pretty good and then pandemic hit 
but uh, looking forward to how things are going to go and uh, keep growing as a gaffer and lighting guy. And goal is to have a truck in the next couple of years. Thanks for being here. Ryan? Hi, uh, my name is Ryan Forte. I'm a local 600 camera assistant, uh, aspiring operator, and I also was a loader on the feature film Cherry with uh, Eric and Evan, who is uh, working in video assist as well. But uh, I really pretty much exclusively work in the camera department in various roles, depending on what jobs are needed. Have a long history in commercials, and um, I'm trying to break more into feature films uh, as time goes on. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, so, Thomas, tell me the first movie you got on. The first movie I worked on was an action film with Bruce Wills called Acts of Violence. And that was, I was in my final semester at Tri-C, and I did the Tri-C film crew workshop, which was a month-long like boot camp on how to be a good crew member and how to be a good PA on set. And within weeks of finishing that workshop, I got asked to camera PA on that movie. Oh wow! That, I mean that that must have been uh, a, a great experience. And that, was that your first uh, foray into uh, into into films? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I jumped right in, basically feet first, and I, it was quite the eye opener. <laughs> I can imagine. I can, I can imagine. So, where did that go from there? Did you already have your union card at that time? No, no, I was uh, still just PAing, really, or being the utility and. And shortly after that, I got on to a Sylvester Stallone prison escape movie at the Ohio State Reformatory. And I was down in Mansfield for like two or three months. And I started off as the office PA, actually. And I got kind of good friends with the DP, who is huge in the business. He shot um, Transformers, the Purge movies, all these like big Michael Bay blockbusters. And he basically went to the producers and was like, hey, this kid needs to be on set. So when they started shooting, they, they let me go and I helped out under uh, with the camera folks. Oh, that's great. No, I actually saw that the other night for, uh, for the first time. So uh, I, it's hard to yeah, believe that was in Mansfield. <laughs> yeah, it was, a lot. it was probably the funniest movie uh, I worked on, all the action. Now we had, but... Yeah, it was pretty bad. Where did you go from there after that movie? Uh, after that, I went on to Native Sun, where I then, again, was starting off as the office PA. And within the first day, uh, Max Everley, who was the uh, was a production coordinator at the time, he was like, hey, you did this job on the Mansfield movie, so we're going to have you do it. So I jumped into a job that I was assistant the movie before, into a job as now the department lead or whatever without any gear any experience and I, I just winged it and it worked you know we made it work that's how we do it here right we didn't get to ask you what your role was on uh as as a loader on cherry could you go over that what your responsibilities were uh kind of day to day yeah no definitely um so i had the wonderful opportunity to work on a feature film called cherry directed by the rooster brothers and I worked as a film loader on a movie that was shot digitally with the Sony Venice. And essentially, I had no idea what that meant exactly when I accepted the role because I have a pretty much exclusively a background in commercials and indie films, which are far different than like full scale union features. And um, I got to work with some amazing people. Uh, one of them, his name is Dan Schroer. 
uh, he was the first assistant and I got to work with another woman named Natasha Mullen and she was the second. And I also got to work with uh, Jason Bauer, who is the DIT and the A first, uh, the A camera operator was Jeff Haley, who just won the SOC Lifetime Achievement Award, which is amazing. And he is it's just amazing. like a phenomenal operator. And uh, basically my, my role specifically was um, to, to take the media from the camera, to download it, check it for any problems or inconsistencies or anything that would be alarming to know about right away, and then um, take reports. But that's just where it starts. And that's like what your immediate responsibilities are. As a film loader, it has like a super long history of um, you are the assistant to the assistants. And essentially you do everything from their paperwork to making sure they get paid correctly um, to all of like the inner, um, like the the mul like the departmental communication. So um, trying to communicate with transportation, trying to communicate with uh, sound, trying to communicate with just about like every single person. And I developed many nicknames from this that everyone can tell you about. Um, based on silly things that I might have done uh, or just, you know, yeah, I see Evan, Evan's <laughs> right now from this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you're basically everything and nothing at the same time is the easiest way to explain it. You're running around like a madman. <laughs> Dude, Ryan Thanks. was running his ass off though. Like yeah. I, you were the, I definitely like saw you as the hardest like working person on, on camera team. For sure. Like, especially when you were vacuuming, like, the Jaeger carts and shit like that. Like, <laughs> that, was yeah, just like the, that was the best. <laughs> you literally have to do everything. I mean, it's, uh, I thought, like, I was like, oh, this is, like, a super easy job. I'll, like, you know, take the batteries and the media from the cameras, and I'll, you know, I do that as a first AC in commercials all the time without a second. It's like, oh, yeah, I can definitely handle batteries and media. And then I get there, and um, she, she's asking me, she's like, what kind of like uh, experience do you have as like a film loader? And I was like, I have lots of like technical camera experience, but I don't have any uh, traditional film loading experience. And she's like, all right, well, basically you're going to have to learn everything. And I was like, amazing. That sounds great. But I think though that like from my, my perspective of everything, you like got your hands on a lot. Like it wasn't, it's actually maybe like a good thing because you were like doing so many different things and seeing so many different things that it, it, it had to have been like a crazy learning, you know, there's like so much to learn there instead of just doing like the, you know, just batteries and media. Like it was so much more than that. There's so much more learning to be had, especially with those people, you know, those people that were like, you know, there are great people that, you know, yeah, no, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, for instance, like anytime I was sitting in the car with Jeff Haley, I would ask him every question I can imagine about Steadicam. I was constantly picking everyone's brain. Like basically like there's these little things that um, like Dan would do. For instance, Dan Schroer does not use diopters. Um, and if you don't know what a diopter is, basically when certain lenses, because they used anamorphic lenses on the movie, um, so like one of the sets was a Tadeo anamorphics and those are very old and uh, they don't have a great close focus range. So you have to stick pieces of glass that are basically magnifying optics to then get close to stuff. And, um, you know, he knew exactly the distances that things would get if you added them on. Um, there's actual math that can go into, you know, how close things are other than just looking at the screen. But there's like, you know, he, but he would attach them with, um, with just Gorilla tape. He wouldn't, 
he wouldn't put them in a mat box tray. Uh, and it's funny, the little things that you pick up that people do that you would never be aware of, like, cause everything I've ever known is like, if you want to put a diopter in front of a camera, you use a tray on a mat box. They're like, no, not Dan. Dan Schroer does not do that. He takes Gorilla Tape and puts it reverse around the lens. And then he just sticks it onto the front of there because it takes like a quarter of the amount of time to get a diopter up. And then sometimes you just decide you don't need it and take it away anyway. So you do all this work for nothing. So that's why they would rather just use tape than uh, spend the time to pull trays out and do all that. Another thing to like, he had uh, like every, he had like a laminate card with like every lens, like every ring size, every like focus, like Ryan probably knows better than I do, but I just saw his card he had like attached to his, like monitor he had like just every so prepared like just every situation like all the lenses on there it's, it's just like little things like that it's like wow that's like really great preparation for so i'll give that credit actually to natasha Mullen. Oh, um, oh, so, so she did that yeah well so it's a combo because it's dan's cart so dan has a lens cart it's a double decker jaeger so that way you can basically have all the stuff you need on top and all the stuff you need on bottom and then you have the working lenses on the middle of the cart at like you know at working height so you don't have to bend over you know risk dropping anything it's easy motorized to too right yeah, yeah motorized too yeah yeah and to add motorized jaeger carts wait, wait, wait. so i'm like i didn't notice that for like the longest time and we're like pushing through the grass and natasha's like you know smaller than me obviously and like I'm pushing my cart, which is like smaller than the big giant cart. I'm struggling through the grass, like <laughs> dying. And I'm like, what? I'm, she's just pushing it, no problem. I'm like, what? I'm like, am I like the wheel? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then I like finally noticed that she's like flooring the wheel, like the electric motor. I'm like, oh, that's cheating! What the hell? <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, oh man, <laughs> it was great. But yeah, that's. That's super convenient too. It, it makes all the difference. Those things are so heavy. When they be coming down the lift gates, I would you're not don't ever stand in front of the cart coming down the lift gate because <laughs> if that if the guy tips it too hard, like you're going down. That cart is just <laughs> gonna destroy you. Uh, it's horrifying. Yeah, how, I've seen how that much the lift gate operator was he? Was he? <laughs> dude, <laughs> <laughs> well, the first guy that we had, um, who's a wonderful, wonderful soul, his name's Jesse. Um, he. And I, I don't know this for sure, but he didn't know how to plug the truck in when, um, when he first came there. So uh, we were all learning together about I remember things. feeding him power, like maybe you even remember too, like feeding him power, like the, when we were at the, the, the lamp dock, the first um, warehouse for like the first week. But yeah, yeah, I remember like feeding him power and like trying to troubleshoot. That. that's funny that you mentioned that I yeah, did. It, was, it was a lot of work I, I i learned a lot about the camera truck that i would have never thought in the world right. yeah 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 i was in alabama and i actually saw a grip truck um they were trying to unload a, a car and it fell from the lift gate at the top and like Ooh, fuck. The, there was two guys at the bottom and they just ran away like it was started they just ran away and I was like, they did the right thing. There, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You just don't try to save that because they would have definitely gotten hurt. Yeah, no one's uh, – they, they always say, like, you know, we're not saving lives here. That's that's the idea. I think it was just grip shit, not camera, because that stuff's, like, indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> How many different types of oh, uh, lenses did they use on the movie? Um, I mean, I think uh, a lot – there's a couple of – there's a lot of things. That, so the – specifically, there was two lens sets that they had. They had um, Tadeo Anamorphics, as I mentioned, and Class X Hawk lenses. And that was, like, the, the main set of primes. 
Uh, one thing that kind of rarely got used, but like popped out a couple of times, they had a uh, Tom Siegel, the DP who um, also did, jeez, um, uh, I can't. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Drive. And the, he actually did Extraction too. I, I saw he was the DP oh, on that as well. was he? Oh, wow. Yeah. He's done tons of movies, but he has an actual Panavision zoom lens that they made for him years ago. And I didn't know this until they told me. One, I didn't know he even had the lens. Two, somebody said that that's the second one they made because they apparently made one, shipped it to him, and it was lost in shipping forever. And oh, never that, came oh. back to him. So they had to actually make a whole second lens for him, apparently. So what, two do exist. You, do, you remember, do you remember what they used? Or like... I obviously probably don't get it too specific, but do you remember like where they use that roughly? Um, man, the zoom lens, I, I don't even know if it actually, they tried to use it on the drone a couple of times. <laughs> I, I'm not actually sure that it ever got used. I don't remember shot. seeing it. That's, I think I maybe saw it once, but it's just like a vague memory in many. Is it so, anamorphic or spherical? It's spherical. Um, they, they put it on the camera a couple of times, but I don't know if it ever actually made it into a shot. That's, yeah. Cause I, I remember like seeing it, but not like it ever actually being used. So I don't, I don't know. It was just interesting. That's funny. Yeah, no, there's the, the one of the, the Hawks actually, um, it, it was like just due to the cold weather naturally cracked, like one of the middle elements oh, and, um, oh, like just that. on its own cracked. So there's weird things, you know, that can happen. I, I'd never really dealt with um, extreme temperatures like so consistently. Yeah. The, literally the last day uh, we put, they didn't plug our, we put most, we were at the same location. So we just left a lot of stuff. We just walked away, left stuff inside. Uh, but there was like, I had a couple things still on our trailer and they didn't plug it in to, so, heat, it. Uh, to heat it. So one of the monitors uh, was destroyed by the condensation um, being in the monitor or whatever. Yeah, something. So, so there's always, there's, a, you just never, there's just like a million things going on at once. And it's, there's just always going to be something that you have like, it's just, that's a learning experience. It's going to get you. Yeah. That's like, like Marlo's whole, you know, Marlo's a sound mixer that I work for on, uh, you know, all the feature films that come to town and he has a very specific way to do a lot of things. And when I first started working for him, it, it felt odd to me. Like, you know, why, why are we doing all this extra stuff for this or that? And then it became clear that like, okay, this, something bad happened in that situation before so you never do it that way again and it's just like how he's learned over time and there's just a lot of times where it's like they want production will want you to do this or that and it's like no we're not doing that because we will get burned and with marlo like a lot of his gear you can't go you can't go to best buy and get it you know same with any but any department so it's like if something goes wrong you need two more that are ready to go you need a backup and then you need a backup for the backup because you never know what's going to happen. Who's going to, you know, make, make an, a boo-boo have an accident. And then, you know, there's no, sorry, sorry, Mr. Director and Mr. Producer, sir. We, we don't have any more gear. That's not, that's never the answer. So it, it all felt excessive coming into it. Cause like, I know a lot of sound mixers who have one mixer and they're like, why would I buy another one? It's so expensive to buy a mixer. And I, I get on Marlo's truck and there's like, four on the truck and he's like there's three more at home and i'm like how why do you have so many mixers i'm like, oh okay i understand it's like you know he has a lot of them for different situations and then also it's like the, i've been in situations with him where like something was being funny or acting up and it's like okay go grab the mobile rig and i grabbed it and we were set up within 
you know, five minutes. And it wasn't like a whole thing where like, there's a problem. And I've been on other sets with mixers who only have one mixer and they have problems and production is stopping and that's there, never good. <laughs> there's so much troubleshooting that you have to do. Like every department, like things just happen because it's technology. And well, and, and in with the VTR stuff, like knowing Marlo's philosophy, building our VTR kit was like, uh, it sucked because I was like, man, we got to spend a lot of money because we need three of everything. Cause so, if something breaks, like, same with the VTR stuff. It's a weak, it's a weak shipment and they're not going to be happy if we're not like able to, to do it. Luckily there's some places to go rent stuff. You know, Don has a lot of stuff that would work for us. And, and there's a, a VTR kit at Ohio HD that we could, we could run, we could sprint there and go get. Hey Hunter, could you, Hunter, could you talk and go get, could you talk about what your responsibilities were uh, or are, or were on, on set when you work with Marlo. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people know what, what your role is. And then we'll switch over to VTR because I think people think it's just playing back something from a <laughs> from a, a recorder and that's all there is to it. So um, first of all, Hunter, what, what were your main responsibilities or what are they? Before we get totally different, Ryan, did they use the pet, that Petsoval lens too? Oh, the, that's, oh, yeah. how did I forget that? Yeah. Uh, just to dive in the, yeah, back to the lenses. I'm so sorry. Uh, just before, yeah, so, I just wanted to mention it before we got yeah, I'm glad you brought totally that up. Uh, they called it the pretzel lens. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, it was such a thing. And, and they'd be like, uh, there'd be this moment where, where the director would be like, what's that, uh, that, that cool lens that you guys were using on them. And then uh, Jeff's like, oh, the pretzel lens. I knew we were going to get the pretzel lens, but uh, um, it, it actually is the, set of like Russian D like SLR lenses that are called Petzl and uh, Tom Siegel because uh, he has an A7 and um, he has like a he loves photography and, and has all kinds of like weird little gadgets but um, one of the things is he has the Petzl lenses for his Sony and they're using the Venice which is obviously a Sony camera so they had it's full frame too so they they were they shot actually a handful of scenes uh, really powerful scenes on the Petzl I think it was a 58 yeah probably had a gold a one right there um, I think it was the 58, but I know there's another version of it because they had gears on it and stuff. So. Yeah, it's a cinevised version. Yeah, it was yeah. sweet. But they shot it with no iris in it the whole time, and there's it was no wide iris. open. And there was one shot that they did of um, that that was right on uh, right up on the main character. Um, what's uh, 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 God? What her name's escaping me right now? Sierra. Yeah. Uh, so they did one shot on Sierra that was uh, a, a super fast dolly pushing from. I would call it a, almost a wide shot to uh, almost an extreme close up. And the dolly grip had said he almost had never pushed the dolly that fast on a wide open lens. And uh, I could only imagine that he was extremely grateful for the light ranger and like just timing and, and everything. Cause that looked terrifying to pull focus on <laughs> to, to do a shot like that. Was that it at turned the out really sweet. Page? What was that? Was I that think it was the at the house. It was at the oh. house. Okay. No, no, that was in the stage. That was in the stage. Oh, which one? Oh, is, oh I'm thinking of a different one. They like one. had all those like like paper buildings. Yes. Yeah. It was oh. Yeah, it was oh. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a screaming one. That that wasn't yeah. on that lens actually. Oh. They did I, use the yeah. Petzl lens too in a Steadicam shot in the Italian. Um, and in it was the. Um, it's like the slow mo. We I don't know how much we can really talk about. But yeah. Was, yeah. Actually. It, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I probably shouldn't bring any of that up, but. Uh, yeah. It was cool. We can but, yeah, edit. But, but I yeah, love I that. I did see an article it, that the Russo said that the movie is like literally done. 
Um, well, and, they were and, editing during the movie. Like they, I, I watched the movie, like part of the movie dude. during filming, which was also helpful to me because it, or we were like, you know, what they had seeing that was like, okay, this is what they need to see from me too. You know, like knowing what they're right. going for, you know, what they're looking at and like what, what's going on and how the movie works. It was helpful to show, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is going to help with this and et cetera, et cetera. All right, gotcha. go to, go back to whatever we were oh, saying yeah. with the, the our roles. Yeah. Um, so a, a sound utility, uh, every movie that I've worked with Marlo, I've been the sound utility, aside from maybe one or two that Scott wasn't there to boom, that I stepped up to boom. And uh, the, the basics are our IFBs. It's a big responsibility on the bigger shows because it's upwards of 10, 15. I've, I've handed out 30 before. Explain and, what an IFB is. Oh, an IFB is um, ultimately like a producer or um, an AC. Anyone that needs to hear the scene uh, may, may want to have video, video assist gets we'll one. So they have a feed. Um, but anyone who needs to hear uh, the scene it's a it's a small box that just has a nine volt battery on it and a volume knob, and we program that from our transmitter. And basically, they're they're not cheap. Um, the receivers, and when there's thirty out, and there's thirty people who definitely aren't going to remember to return it, the end of my day becomes a nightmare because I'm trying to track every one of these down and have them accounted for. So I do a name checkout list kind of thing every day as I hand them out. And what's good is I I. The first day, a couple of days are hard because I'm bad at names and I'm good with faces. So I just, I can get faces and numbers and I'll just say, I need number five and I can look for number five. Oh, here's number five. And I get it. So, um, production usually will help out with that a lot, but it's, it's kind of, it's more of a job than I ever thought it would be. And I've only ever not gotten back like one or two. And it's just like people who literally just get on a plane and leave and no one knows what they did with it. But other responsibilities are, um, depending on the show, if it's a heavier load show or like a bigger show, I will help with wiring or I will do all the wiring or I will do no wiring. It just kind of depends on the flow of everything. Um, but a lot of times, uh, especially since I've learned a lot about wiring, since I started working with Marlo and Scott, that they trust me and they know that I can wire someone and get it done quickly. And that's the name of the game. So, you know, after IFBs wires, time code slates i'm kind of the the inner interim between camera and sound i go to camera figure out what what we need as far as a cable as far as 90 degrees or anything special they need and i get with them get their boxes to them every day get the slates to them every day make sure they're synced double checking the camera with the slates that's kind of a constant uh ocd thing i have to be on because if it's out of time it's it's on the sound department as a whole but it's ultimately on me um and then other than that, uh, if a situation calls for it, running uh, antennas out, if, if we can't be as close to the scene as we'd like to be, I got to run antenna line, set up an antenna so we can have a good signal from the wires and our, and our boom. Everything's wireless for us um, as far as microphones. And then also video feed to Marlowe so he can see. Um, and then kind of I, I can relate with Ryan in a sense that like, you know, it's not just that stuff. You got to get water. You got to talk to transpo. You got to, you know, kind of make those plans that are things you don't really think about that are, it's a lot of work outside of it and cleaning, cleaning the truck, you know, uh, making sure everything's swept out and, and organized. So when everybody is done, we can just clean up as quick as possible and 
So a lot of days it's stressful and there's a lot to do and a lot to remember for sure. And it's easy to forget something and it's sucks when you do because then you can get in a situation where you're uh, a mile from the truck and you've forgotten, you know, one little thing that's key and then you're sprinting and they always say never to run on set, but I've always run on set in those situations. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm running. I, I'm I've seen Ryan running on chariot. Yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's times when it's like you're, you're running. I'm running too. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying I'm it, not running. Because I, I, I've seen a people lot of, run. Like grip yeah. people will yell at me. Don't, don't run. Like they'll, they'll see me running. Oh, dude. Yeah. They, they'll be like, no, no running. It's, you know, you can't run. And I'm like, I'm running. Like we're going to be in big trouble if we don't run. Well, <laughs> well, like I would say this is just like a side note. Like there's situations, Ryan, where you like are running into a car or like uh, the follow van, you know, like so you're like slating and then you have to go, you know what I mean? Like you can, there are situations where you like literally have to run. Yeah. Right. So it's not just like, there's no running. It really just depends who you're dealing with. If it's like the second AD or if it's like, you know, the, or, or if it's like the, the director, cause they don't want to wait. Nobody wants to wait. But when it comes to like the assistant directors, like their, their ass is on the line, essentially, um, you know, it, for safety reasons. So they're right. always going to tell you to slow down. Yeah. Right. But then there's someone like, get your butt in the van like you know what i mean it's like we got to shoot this shot you're gonna you're gonna yeah, you, i mean basically you could get fired for not being fast enough but at the same time they're gonna try to penalize you if you're running so it, you know you kind of have to tread water lately there yeah yeah it's it's a it's a balancing act for sure um i'll just i'll just add a little more as far as a sound utility um i definitely really enjoy the job and and what happens on some days is if there is two actors in the scene and they're far from each other uh two booms go up and i, I love those days because i get a re-rate <laughs> and uh it's it's cool to to be booming and and get more of that experience because i i definitely like being a boom op as well it's 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 a lot of fun and on that movie no one gets out alive i was definitely in a couple situations i've never been in before as a boom person because it's generally you know i'm only there and when it's uh you know more than two people and it makes sense but you know steady cam shots in the highest wind i've ever swung a boom in it was full stick on the boom i was very much sweating in the winter and it was it's just like that was a physical workout like i came out the next day like very sore from it and i didn't i didn't expect that necessarily i mean i knew it was physical but and I've boomed a lot and it's been physical, but that was like, I felt like I'd done my first like week of football practice after <laughs> that. So, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really fun job. I really enjoy it. And I would, I would never say no to doing it. So, and then there's, and then you have 30 IFBs and they all have batteries too, that you have to manage. Yeah. Too. That's another thing. Luckily we like, we used to have these batteries that wouldn't last the whole day. They'd last like 10 hours and 59 minutes. So at the end of the day, like, everyone is like oh my battery's dead oh my battery's dead but luckily we got some better ones that last the whole day and then some so that's nice that like i don't have to halfway through the day kind of chase everyone down and get them new batteries and that's the other thing at lunch you know chasing actors actors have left the premises with mics on and that's my job too like if we're still shooting like you know scott has to boom so i'm i'm the one chasing these people down to their trailers and stuff like that to get their wires at the end so it's like the end of the day sucks for me it's slates time code boxes, uh, IFBs, um, wires, pulling back the antennas, pulling back SDI line. It's like, and all that has to happen now. And like every, cause those people are going to leave. And if, if, 
you know, cameras done, they're just going to pack the stuff up and we don't get our stuff back. And like, I can't get it till morning. And that means, you know, I have to get it in the morning. That's one more thing I have to do. Yeah, We really don't care either. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've so many times I've gotten to the camera truck. It's fully packed. And like, every, I'm like, I need my slates. And they're like, where were you? I'm like chasing the <laughs> hundred thousand other things down that I needed to get, you know? So it's, it can be for everyone's usually cool about it though. So I, I love the job. Yeah, I, I wanted to add one thing too about like the labor in Cleveland and everyone, but like Hunter and Evan and Eric and Thomas and, um, you know, Travis and uh, Colleen and the, all the, you know, G&E team that I can't even name, like, you know, that we've had in Cleveland. It's like such an amazing crew of people. And I think that the reason uh, that it's actually hard to find people here is that people are so skeptical to hire on anyone that anyone they do hire on gets hired frequently and repeatedly so often and eventually a lot of them move away and uh i've hear people say this all the time but it's like if you can make it in cleveland you can make it in anywhere which i've seen proven over and over and over again is you know there's lots of in, in major markets and big cities you will see um, people that maybe are not the best, but because there's such a demand for labor, they will continue working and maybe they don't work all the time with the same people, but they will continue going where it's, you know, around here. Um, you know, we even had an incident with a utility um, on, on the feature, but basically if there's any issues, a lot of times your reputation is at stake on every production. So uh, it's, it's really important that everyone does their best and works their hardest. And these people come in from out of town and they don't know anything about you and you work differently and you're trying to kind of sync up together. And, um, it's, it's really amazing how often that every time a feature comes into town or a big commercial or something like that, that these like lifelong connections are made and people stay in touch afterwards, sometimes for years. And sometimes it's the, you know, basically the catalyst of these people's careers too. I will add to that, that, um, Cleveland is a lot like high school where if something, if someone's reputation is on the line and their question, that stuff travels very quickly and everyone knows about it. You know, when, when, if someone's doing poorly and that's a rumor, people, I, it's, I couldn't even understand how quickly they knew. It's like that day they're texting me. So what's going on with this? And I'm like, how do you even know that? Like it just happened. Like I just watched it. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's very like, humbling in a way it's like if we mess up everyone's gonna know you know and so I think that it, you know to your point that like if you can make it here like you know you can make it anywhere because like you said a lot of those people they may not work with those you know certain amount of people ever again in LA but there's so many other people that have never heard of this person you know that can hire them and they may not know the other people they worked with so it's a big C out there Hey Evan, uh, let's let's switch gears and uh, talk about what your role as a, uh, was as a VTR. Um, so basically, I like especially on Cherry, my my main job is getting the directors monitor up and getting them image as quickly as possible. Um, and I so I'll record. I basically record everything that happens. I'll record. Um, like rehearsals and the, the, a lot of times they want to see the rehearsal back if they're not paying attention. Like I have to be like ready as soon as camera is ready. I have to be ready before or as soon as they're ready too. And it's just me um, in my department. So it's like I'm racing against 
six how, how many people ryan were like five or oh, six a lot of people man <laughs> and they're like, all so, staring at you <laughs> so like camera so camera has five or six people and it's like me racing against camera and you know whatever but but i think like the biggest thing is like it's all about teamwork and and helping each other out so that's what i try like i became really close with jason the dit and um the sound department with pud and alex and ajax and so like what hunter was kind of saying like I, like if I saw an IFB left behind from someone, I'd pick it up and just hand it, you know, hand it to them or do whatever I can do to make everybody's lives easier. Um, but so I'll run, so I'll run the cables out to their monitor, the director's monitors. Um, I have a program called QTake um, and I record directly from the camera um, and then I organize. So I also work very close with the script supervisor um, to make sure that all my clips are labeled correctly because the um, directors will call for a clip from a day, a, a week, a month ago. Um, and I have to be able to pull that up in, in seconds. So um, a lot of times uh, the script supervisor will also, they'll just be like, pull up this shot of the car. And you're like, I have a thousand clips, you know what I mean? But, but a lot of the time I could remember what it is, but Sarah would also be like, it's seen like 38 B. Oh, got it. And then it'll be up in like two seconds, but she's like with the directors in the tent so she can hear. So I have like a mic line run them to them so I can hear. They basically communicate with me through my headphones um, and tell me what they want. So there's just like a lot of like tech, like I'm kind of, it kind of fits because I do like touch on a lot of different, like aspects of production. I have like a basic understanding of things. So um, like, I, you know, I have to make sure the sound levels are good. I have to make sure like a lot of it's like, there's weird things that happen with like power where like I'll get like a buzz because we're plugged into the same uh, box or we're plugged into a different box. Like there's a million different things that can go go wrong. So it's like troubleshooting all those and things and working with camera. Like maybe we're not getting a signal. Maybe the signal's breaking up, like helping you know, figure out where we need to put the antennas or what we're going to do in a situation like Jason's going to bring his box and I'm going to, um, you know, use my monitor instead of his monitor. And we're going to put it in the, like, use my stand in the car. Like there's just like a million, uh, different scenarios that you have to be prepared for. Um, but at the end of the day, you just have to get the image to the directors and they need to be seen because if they're not seeing it, what, there's no point in making the movie. <laughs> like if they don't know what's going on, then, like you got to do it again. Like that's basically, or like they're the ones making the final decision. So there's a lot of pressure to get that right. And there, you're always going to run into some technical problems, but I learned a lot of ways to mitigate those um, with just different tricks. And like the software is like super power. It's very expensive, but super powerful. So once you kind of dive into the software, you can mitigate a lot of issues and, and, and like, I think the biggest thing was just working as a team with everybody. Like I loved working with everybody and like problem solving and just talking and saying like, okay, what are we going to do in this situation? Like what makes sense? Like, are we going to get, am I going to get sound, you know, hardwired? Like we're on a, we're on a truck, like I'm on the back of the truck and sounds in the front seat of the truck. And like, should we go wireless? Should we run a cable? Like how much time do we have? What do we, you know, what are we going to do in this situation? So it's like a big, every day is a puzzle and you just have to take the pieces that you have and figure it out. And then also like setting up monitors for hair and makeup and um, for the producers, uh, that sort of thing too. So there's like, you know, basically just any place that an image is needed, except for like camera usually handles their own, they have their own like 
monitors generally, but anyone yeah, who's lost in one of you, unfortunately. <laughs> so generally anyone who's not camera, who needs an image, I'm going to be getting it up for them. And it's really, I was really thankful that, you know, there's situations where th like, like I said earlier, you know, setting up everything, it, it just doesn't make sense. And, and it's good to be work with people that understand that and just, you know, I'll do, you know, I'm the kind of person who'll just do anything to make it work. So like sometimes hair and makeup is over my shoulder and I've got the window full screen on my laptop, like just so they can see, because, you know, it's nail biting, like we're about to roll, you know what I mean? I need to hit record. And that's the other thing. Like I I'm doing other things, setting up other things, but I have to be there to hit record. So sometimes you walk, you hit record and walk away. Um, there was times too, where I would, we did a, we did a certain scene where we need to see playback um, of the same, they basically did the same camera move, but um, with a different action because they're going to composite the two things together. So I had to like time the playback to be with the camera move that was live. Um, so there was like that and that helped, you know, there's like a million ways to do that, but it's just like figuring out what works in the time constraints that we had. Um, and it was really gratifying to like have that work because I think they posted a picture of that scene on Instagram and it ended up, uh, it worked. <laughs> so I was like, yes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make a note just quickly about that. Like I've done a lot of audio playback on set too. And you're like that when you're in that role, you're really part of the movie. Yeah. You know, you're, you're I may be hitting space for a gunshot sound or, or a whistle is, is one I've done before, but like, those things if they're not timed properly or you know they're not done right it, it throws off the whole scene so it feels good to nail those moments because it's like without me that scene would have not worked you know so or like an example would so be I did, the tv thing uh, yeah i did that minute man yeah there was like play i just played back like a movie on the tv because it like was timed with the scene um but like the other thing too I actually did do audio playback one day <laughs> because I just had the files and it was like convenient for me to just, so I like Union the, main, the main actor was gone that day because of like another movie premiere. So I was just like, and we were at like Ryan had mentioned, there was like some like stuff going on and with the like sound department, like whatever. So I was just like, I'm just going to do it because I've got it here. So like, that was cool. It's like, I'm hitting the button and then the actor's like talking to me and I'm muting it. And, and another cool thing was like, I don't know if this is like even a thing that people do, but I did it like just, I just tried to do whatever I could to help in any situation. But we were doing a, a scene where there was, uh, the actor was speaking like quick, more quickly than normal, but it was shot at a higher frame rate. So we were trying to time up the, the speech to be like normal while everything else was slower in the background. Um, and I, I just like pulled the clip into Premiere and, and just played it back at um, that speed with the audio um, chain, like the pitch shifted so it sound normal, just kind of see where we were at at the speed and like if we need to increase the speed or lower the speed. Um, so there's just like, there's just like a million things that you can really run into, but the biggest thing is just getting the, <laughs> getting the picture on the screen so they can see it and then playing it back for them when they ask you to. <laughs> so I wanted to add one thing for Evan's position because he kind of brought up something that uh, I left out for myself. So I felt like I should do something for you too because there was, uh, I think, an understanding when this when you first took the job, Evan, that 
it was going to be a single camera movie. Yeah. Um, thinking like, yeah, it was just going to be one camera. Keep in mind now when Evan shows up to the, like the rehearsal test tech day that uh, was supposed to be just like ironing out the kinks. He's faced with taking the signal from a 3D camera rig that is also one half infrared and one half regular image that they blended together. And he was required to on the spot deliver different variations of opacity so they could kind of see how the blending of this was going to work without any prior like know-how or anything. Just kind of looked it up. The thing about it too was that I, it wasn't even my kit. It was Ohio HD's kit because at the time, well, and still, our kit doesn't have the compositing feature in QTake because you have to pay like an extra $10,000. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so so I, their kit is like, I, I actually think Hunter did a better job on our kit. Don't tell Ohio HD that. Like, well, that they didn't make it. Oh, it's oh, a Nebtech. It. It's well, a Nebtech kit. Whatever. But it, like, it's just, it's I'm just, there's just little. End there's little quirks about it that um, I had run into that day. So now I learned like, you know, okay, this is how this works. So everything's a learning experience. It was, it was really just a, the issue I had run into in that situation was like a boot order error. Like basically their kit, it's very specific how you have to boot everything up or it just doesn't work. So like I had everything working. It was sitting there for like an hour and a half. And then they're like, oh, let's actually do this outside. So I rip everything out and like go run outside. And then I'm trying to boot it up and it's just not working because I had the order was, the boot order was wrong. So I'm like sweating bullets, like, you know, okay, blah, 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 like troubleshooting, trying to figure it out. It, it all ended up working out, but it was just like one of those things where it's like, it's sitting there working for like two hours and you're like, all right, here I go. And then it's like, oh, you got to move right now. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, and then that's when things happen. So it's, you know, those things happen for a reason though, because then you learn how to solve it later so and that was just a test shoot so like what you know i mean I, I i still should have just had it right but it's I, i'm just glad to be able to learn um and like be able to fix things for you know i don't know everything so i just you know that's how you learn is you mess up yeah and i, I say <laughs> i think going into cherry like this was evan's first vtr job and i was trying to help build the kit for it and like my knowledge of VTR was I've ne- you know, I've worked on one other show with a VTR person and that was my only knowledge of what they do, you know? And a lot of people don't know. A lot of people around sets with VTR don't know what the hell they're doing. But anyway, um, we, I was very lucky that there was um, VTR on the show I was on and yeah, Nick, Nick Thompson was like a, a guru. You know, he definitely knows all the stuff about it. And I was able to pick his brain about, how the program works and what he was doing to like be more efficient. And, you know, we learned a lot of things the hard way on like, as far as the technical side of it, cause there's a lot to it. And, you know, I spent probably a month like building that kit, you know, and just trying to make it as light as possible and as versatile as possible. If, you know, it works with no power. That's like a huge thing that a lot of people's kids don't do. And, you know, Marlo made it a point to me that you got to be ready you know, if, if there's no power and they want you there, like you have to be able to go. I always push for having power though. Like I'll, I, I oh, absolutely. that's the other thing is too, is like, like it's such a, like, it's a strange position for someone who's like a new, like a pretty new person at this because you're at the end of the day, there's no one above you. Like you're the department. So like you have to just make a decision and like, 
advocate like luckily like put would advocate for me a lot because she like the sound mixer the sound mixer would advocate for me a lot but i would also have to advocate for myself like it's like i need a generator on this thing or it's just like not going to be state like it's it works but if i can get the like stable it's not going to work for the whole day then it's just that much it's just that much better you know and it makes me feel like if it you know if i can do something to make it more likely to work then i'm going to fight for that you know what i mean so it's that's important like to the people you know you work for let let them know what you need to do your job yeah so i think just being i think my like the biggest strength that i i had is just being able to c- communicate with everybody and i i just i think it was just like a joy to work with everybody too so that was that was very helpful like i just i just liked hanging out with everybody and talking and learning everything and like i said just the group problem solving that we had to do i think was like the most exciting part about it and i i really like i like that um aspect of it because it's just there's not just you don't just show up like the first week it's like you're at the house and you can kind of figure out like we were just at the same location and it's like okay you can kind of like figure it out but then from there it's like every day is a different day and there's a new problem that needs to be solved so and I know like Ryan can talk to that too. Like the, the car um, with the cam, like the, the 360 view, you know, like the dog cam. yeah, like that yeah. was, you know, it's like, you got, that's just like something that's got to work and there's like a million things that can go wrong. And like, you just got to figure something out. You know what I mean? It's, that was complex. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, what Jason too, these are his words, not mine that you probably have adapted to is like, always stay under the radar. Mm-hmm. was something that I kind of kept in the back of my head at all times because like you got to think about it every moment every decision everything you're doing how can you stay under the radar and how can you do things without anyone noticing so it just keeps moving smoothly because I made the mistake of not staying under the radar many many times and it, it does many things for you hopefully the worst thing that happens is people laugh and you get a few nicknames uh, but it can turn very violent too and not be so yeah fun. i think i i've never heard stay under the radar like when thinking about like this stuff and like that just describes me and scott on set like <laughs> everyone's mic is dead and we were about to shoot and it's like you just have to get in there and secretly get everyone up before uh an ad or anyone is aware of it because if they hear the words the mic packs are dead they 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 derail and they're like oh well, we have to stop we have to wait you know it's gonna take so long to get this done you know because they're they're in a stressful moment and it's like it's like if you can just get it done and no one knows that's that's the greatest thing ever too there there's a situation that kind of reminds me of we we're on on like a like a set as in like a built set and uh, the director wanted to be in the room. Um, because a lot of the times we would just be like outside of the set like outside of the set walls um but the director wanted to be in the room and everybody else is doing their thing like the the camera's on a doll like it's you know the door is blocked by the dolly there's people running lights cables everything and i've got to like get my cable back into the back of the closet where the director is going to stand and put my monitor down but i don't but I need to do it without getting in anybody's way or bothering anybody. So you just kind of like sit and wait for the like exact moment to just run and like do exactly what you have to do and then get out of there because you don't want to be like, and it, like sometimes you just have to be like, look, I just got to get through here. Like you got to say something, 
But if not, like you just find the perfect moment to just like run and do that thing that needs to be done. Because I, like ultimately, like it is important what I'm doing, but like other things are not like the what I'm doing isn't even going to happen. Like the director isn't going to see anything if they're not set up and yeah. like camera's not ready, if lighting's not like. So I just have to like respect. There's a lot of just juggling of what's going on and you have to prioritize like where you fall in that thing. Cause sometimes I just have to like, be like I got to do this right now or like, it's going to be bad. But other times like, okay, let me like bounce around just for a minute and then I'll like go in. But especially in tight quarters and like there, you know, there's a lot of tight spaces we had to fit in and like elbows to elbows and things that just didn't, it's not, it's never ideal. You know what I mean? It's never the ideal scenario. <laughs> time-wise or space or anything it seems when the, it seems when the stakes are higher too when the stakes are higher um you know all that shit rolls downhill and uh, somebody's got to be responsible nobody wants to be the guy kind of like left without a chair right and if if you stick out like that you know nobody want every that's what you mean by flying under the radar do your job do it well and if you're not heard from then you did a great job <laughs> then if they didn't even know you existed unfortunately then you did a great job and that's that there's a lot of a team team things like that nobody knows the field goal kicker until he misses a kick right so i mean that's that's just kind of how it is i know um, um we talked a lot too about uh sorry not sorry to interrupt you there's, no, there's no, a no. lot of talk, talk about um staying under the radar and not being noticed but honestly like eric's position and crew um in rigging is one of those things that everybody takes for granted entirely Definitely. uh and along with set dressing too in other departments, but like we show up on set and it's just done basically minus some like very minor things. I'd love to hear some of like Eric's perspective on any challenges he faced. Like, and, like, and that's the thing, we'll segue to Eric, so what a typical day was for you, you know, coming on set and you know, what did you do a lot of pre-night prep or was it a lot um, uh, during the day when you, when you showed up? Sure. Um, so there had to be like so much foresight and just like like a almost like supernatural amount of like guesswork um in in what we did and that was all thanks to our our gaffer and especially our best boy who had just you know a whole lifetime of experience and um knowing knowing exactly where like they had to know like the shots so well because we had to hide all all our cabling. You know, we obviously had to have, you know, these hundred kilowatt generators like out of out of sight, out of out of scene. Like if they're doing like a street scene, like, you know, and, and stay even if the DP's like, you know what, I don't like this side of the street. I want to flip it. Like our gaffer's like, yeah, we, we gotta take it and like go around here just in case this, like every little basis um, was, was kind of covered. And, and a lot of that we didn't really know as we were rigging, we were just kind of told like, don't think, just do and do as fast as you can. And uh, it's just, they had, they had so much um, they like guesswork involved. And I guess it wasn't really guesswork. It was, it was all educated because, you know, we put, just we would go from a generator like way down the street or like parked in someone's like backyard or like wherever and run like hundreds and hundreds of feet of like garden hose size cable like 
like five at a time or nine at a time, like in, you know, in, in the gutters or in the, uh, in like the, the sides of the street, like, you know, right in the snow and in the, like in the water, cause it was raining a lot and snowing a lot. Um, and then we would, you know, break that out at like a, like a, another giant big like distro and then send like another bunch of big runs like to, to each corner of a house or like, you know, go in through windows or like, um, when it came to the indoor sets, um, that it was really tricky to, you know, like we, we were running like wires and stuff up over top and dropping in and we had to wire like every fixture that was in the house to make it look like they were real. Um, and we had to work with special effects a little bit to help them do some, some gimmicks and gags. And, um, you know, cause they had to make like running water happen in like, you know, built sets that are inside like an abandoned Walmart and just a lot of um, challenges and um, you know they they made like an entire like set of of woods foggy too special effects did by like running these like giant like long garbage bags like through the woods and like poking holes in them and like sending fog through them and so we you know we had to help provide power for things like that um way deep into the woods uh, so, like, some of the challenges that, that we had to do were, you know, sometimes the guesswork wasn't exactly as precise as it needed, or, like, things changed, you know, so, like, we would spend a lot of time um, rigging something, and, you know, wires aren't super easy to move once they're, once they're down, and once all the carts and everyone's around them, um, like, there was, there was one where we rigged one side of the bank and Akron next to the Goodyear Theater and then that morning I, I think it was the DP or someone made the call like I don't like the side of the street we we're gonna go to the other side of the street but we had rigged you know that whole stretch and then we had you know we had broke in it's like roots of a plant like we had you know broke in like to the bank and you know through the front door and the back door and like like we would went down to the basement and we did all kinds of shit and so like now the company's there and it's like we had to rip all that out and switch it to the whole other side of the the street and the bank and um that's why like they were riding us even on lazy days not that there really was but like days that we weren't in a rush like it was always like rush rush do this as quick as you can like because we had to be sharp for for days like that when when the company was there and we rigged you know, in, in production's eyes, we rigged the wrong side of the street, you know, so, um, but other than that, I mean, we just had just a lot of really early mornings, you know, three, four, five a.m., and um, just, just rigging for, for the company to come, and uh, having to know, like, where they were going to set up their lights, and then having to know, like, all right, the dolly's gonna need a need a line here. This is gonna need a line here, whatever. Um, just the the amount of foresight was, was crazy. Um, ask me another question. Wait, I'll say <laughs> I'll you, say there's. You, you, or, yeah, go ahead. There was just times where like we're on set at there and like we we don't know what's going like do you want know I mean? to like so how are you like it's that's a, how yeah it's, like we don't even know yeah. like they, they don't know what like not in a bad way just like things change because it's like 
it's just the nature of the beast. Like there's a million different things that can decide what happens, whether it's like something looks better, it just doesn't work for the blocking, whatever it is. So it's like, I just think it's amazing that you guys like even, you know, it's like you're aiming at such Supernatural. a moving target. You're aiming at a moving target for sure. Dude, yeah, that's like the yeah the way it's like Hunter said like it's like supernatural the amount of um like foresight that the gaffer and like the best boy had to have to like I mean a lot of rigs you know we we put in I guess with the expectation that you know they might not use this at all but we're gonna like spend an hour rigging it and you know that happened a lot like they didn't use it all but i mean it would have been detrimental if yeah. they needed to use that and it wasn't there so i mean it was it was always worth it no matter what um and, oh another thing too i totally forgot like you know we would go in any any of the locations that um we shot at that had fluorescent tubes up up top or practicals in like you know we changed out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tubes yep. <laughs> and um like a couple times I, I think in that in that bank in um, Coventry, they, you know, there was like there was like I think 185 tubes or something, and the DP came and was like, "Nah, dude, these need to be a little darker or something." So we had to take every one of them down, gel them, put them back up, like, and that was we had to do it, like, while you guys were all setting up to shoot, and it was I like remember that right down to the wire, like, like literally i'm like working on a ladder like like while tom holland is like doing blocking with the roost and it's like fuck if i drop something or like drop a ball or just like dude it would have been a bad look for sure Um, and i think that's really what makes the movie that's what makes a movie a movie is because you guys are taking 180 lights and replacing them and like getting them down to where they need to be like on productions that are like smaller, you just don't have the manpower right. or the time Money. to do anything like close to that. Like, I mean, how much did those bulbs cost? Like to, rep- you know what I mean? Like just a piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, that's insane amount of money right there. Like, right. And we, so- we, I mean, every so often, like one of us would drop one, you know, right. and it was just like, not a good look for you know the cost of it for sure and you know like we we need like just about all of them that we have so um, over ten thousand dollars in bulbs guys dude yeah. it's nuts well because the the prison in marion Quick math. I, think that, I think that they used 380 some tubes at the prison in marion yeah. like, and they were all security fixtures that that were under lock and key <laughs> like so you you change like like a hundred fixtures with like four bulbs a piece in them. And they're, and it's like, you know, like, you know, like lock it every time, come down, do the next one, do the next one. And then, and then you have to take it all out too. It's like, that's not just like, Oh, good, yeah, it doesn't God, just stay done. there. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a question. Are, are those bulbs, are you, you're just replacing obviously like the lower CRI and non-color matched bulbs yeah, with yeah, something yeah. that's like a daylight or a tungsten. Yeah, it was true. like, um, Visions in color and movie magic brand, okay. uh, like 5600K. So, so they, yeah, they'll just match everything else, kind of like a Kino bulb ultimately. Yep. Yep. Yeah, cool. basically, yeah, it was exactly that. But they were like mostly T8s. We had like a few T5s, like at the subway, like we had to change the menu lights out, change out like the, the lights over the food and stuff. And then, um, so I didn't like, realize all that went into it, even because yeah. I don't see that. You know, I'm on set and I'm like, oh yeah, they're just using the lights that were there. 
Right. Nope. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Every single location, like every bulb we changed out. Like we had to get like weird U-shaped bulbs for like a lot of locations. We had to get a lot of, and, and those you just had to go to Home Depot and just like get the 50, 500K bulb. Let's hope just that they don't close. flicker and hope that they, you know, just, because they're, they're almost, and we, we have to ND them at that point just so that like the camera can see like, oh, this, like there's lighting in the building, but like, you know, and then we just relit it with like light maps and whatnot. But, you know, you have to trick the viewer into thinking that the lighting ball coming from. There was times where I would just like come across a room that was just filled with bulbs. Like, <laughs> fucked as a bulb. Right. <laughs> I'd Dude. just be like, what? No, I think it's really interesting to hear from all of you how, how each of your parts really um, adds up to the sum of the movie and the, the look of the movie. And I'm sure when you see it, you know, and you see your names at the at the very end of, of the movie, you're kind of going that you you did matter for that for that moment in time or that you know those uh, month month right. and a half in time. And even w whether it's a, a running power, changing bulbs, or or uh, swapping data, I mean, all every every link in that chain mattered. And and maybe that makes us think about our own work and how if we sweat every detail, I think the work just turns out better. And we care. We care about every frame as they do. I mean, it's amazing how you can almost tell the difference between these higher level films to something maybe has the money, but not quite as good. You could just tell. I mean, I think it doesn't, you see them on Netflix all the time. They, they passed muster, but they really weren't at the top of, you know, where you guys uh, and who you worked with. And I think that's, that's really a tribute to all of you. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, uh, I, we've already uh, had an outro. I think I'd love to continue this kind of forum maybe once a month or, or doing something else. I don't know how you guys feel. Maybe we can do it by reviewing a movie or kind of coming up and everybody coming uh, brings in their thing. Or, or I mean, there's a whole segment you could do on really how Q-Take works, Evan, or how, you know, or, or really what your responsibilities as far as labeling. And what did you use to transfer data with, Ryan? Uh, so Jason Bauer, the DAT supplied, uh, the whole production with a rig that he built that just actually was, um, very efficient and simple at the same time, but it was, uh, basically a Mac pro tower with hedge. And, uh, he also had, man, what is the date? There was, um, there was a, a program. I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it was a program that they used to run a log on it too, that like generated images and, uh, checked the stuff. Um, but it was basically Hedge, a Mac Pro, and an SAS RAID that he had built in a SKB Pelican case. Um, that was fantastic. It was uh, worked really well. It sat on the truck and uh, simple and efficient. And that's kind of like the uh, basically the ideology that Jason does, like when he does things. It's like simple and efficient. It's not overly complicated. Yeah. Um, and it works really well at the end of the day because. I had to focus on like ordering expendables and dealing with, you know, people's lunch orders and making sure that, you know, the truck is ready to go for the next day, that batteries are charged, that there's enough blocks there, that we're not losing stuff at every location we go to. So it was really nice to not have to be overly stressed about those things. Well, listen, I think we'll yeah, close here. I'll let, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I say, it was just great to see like Jason's setup and just how, you know, it's like, it kind of worked for every situation. It's like a commit, you know, and if it didn't, it was an option otherwise. And that's kind of what I like. I learned from that too. It's just like, okay, the this, 
it's okay to say like, this doesn't work for this situation, but this is what I'm going to do that does work. You know, so that's like okay to do. So you just got to make it work. And it, if it's not like, you know, your big cart that you, ha you know, the big perfect cart, it, it's just an augment of that or like a different version of that, then that's fine. As long as you're doing your job and making it work. But yeah, just keep it simple and just streamline because you don't have time to be putzing around with things. Keep it simple, stupid. Keeping it simple indeed. Wise words from those guys. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one. There's more next time as we talk about the future of film here in Cleveland as well as the future set environments. What's next after uh, this crisis is over? Uh, in the meantime, please rate and review our podcast on platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to it, uh, Google. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys, hear some feedback about um, how we can improve your listening experience. Until then, stay safe and uh, talk to you next time.